Hello, my rebels. What a show today. Besides my own commentary on TikTok, Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau, including a cat video and a bird video. I have a great heart-to-heart talk with our friend Barbara Kay about medical assistance in dying, which is the new code word for doctor-assisted suicide. That's ahead. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. You need it today. Some of the videos I'm going to show you, it's the visual that's powerful. You won't even understand them if all you hear is the sound. I'm talking about a duet with a cat. I'm talking about Biden parody videos. You need to go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month, a bargain at twice the price. Rebelnewsplus.com. By the way, we need that dough to keep our lights on here because we do not take any government funding. It's just you. It's just you and viewers like you. Please go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's program. Tonight, Joe Biden comes to Canada, perhaps the only world leader who can make Justin Trudeau look smart. It's March 24th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Hey, uh, I want to give you a monologue about a few things, but before I do, I really want to invite you to stick around for my feature-length interview with Barbara Kay about medical assistance in dying. Very powerful conversation I just recorded with her. That's going to be in about 15 minutes when I'm done my monologue, so please, please stick around for that. But first, I want to talk to you about yesterday, the CEO of TikTok, the social media app, was grilled by U.S. lawmakers on Capitol Hill. I think he should be grilled. TikTok is a Chinese-owned company, and China has laws that clearly state every single tech company in China must give unfettered backdoor access to their entire systems to the Chinese security state, as in anything TikTok knows, the Chinese secret police and military know. They don't need to ask. They don't need to go to court to get a search warrant. It's China. It's a dictatorship. They, they just take it. It's It's not a secret that they do this. You might say, well, what does TikTok know about its users that is so damaging to U.S. or Canadian national security? I mean, half of TikTok is silly video trends. I mean, tell me this isn't funny and a bit gripping and a bit tempting to try doing it yourself. I thought that was fun. That's the bait. That's the fun sing-along videos. That's the fun video filters, like the one that I don't know how to do it. Makes you look like you're 30 years younger. That's me trying it out. It sort of looks like me 30 years ago. Not really, but still, it's fun. I mean, come on. How much fun is this? Doing a duet, singing in harmony with the cat. But the worrying part 
is that the app is in your phone and it has access to everything. You give it access to everything on your phone, your friends list, your photos, your videos, your GPS location. It asks you, you click yes, over a hundred million Americans have. Here's an excerpt from their privacy policy. I went online to look it up. Who do we share your information with? We share your data with third-party service providers who help us to deliver the platform, such as cloud storage providers. We also share your information with business partners, other companies in the same group as TikTok. Okay, that's, that means the Chinese, everything Chinese. Content moderation services, measurement providers, advertisers, and analytics providers. Where and when required by law, we will share your information with law enforcement agencies or regulators, China, and with third parties pursuant to a legally binding court order. It's a general way of saying they share it with anyone they want to share with, including the Chinese government. Look at this paragraph in their terms. User content and behavioral information. We process the content you generate and view on the platform, including preferences you set, such as choice of language, photographs, audios, and videos you upload or create, comments and live streams you make, user content. We collect user content through preloading at the time of creation, import or upload, regardless of whether you choose to save or upload that user content in order to recommend audio options and provide other personalized recommendations. So even if you don't publish it, they get it. We may collect information about the images and audio that are a part of your user content, such as identifying the objects and scenery that appear, the existence and location within an image of face and body features and attributes, the nature of the audio, the text of the words spoken in your user. They're recording everything about you and the room you're in and every word you say. We may access content including text, images, and video found in your device's clipboard with your permission. It goes in. So if you co copy and paste something in an email app, they got it. it. You give them everything forever for free for them to do whatever they like. I mean, it's bad. Sure, but is it as bad as having an accused Chinese agent sitting in your parliament as part of the government? Take a look at this. In February 2021, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor had been detained in a Chinese prison for nearly 800 days. But while they languished away, Ontario Liberal MP Han Dong allegedly advised a top Chinese diplomat to hold off on immediately freeing them. Two independent national security sources have told Global News that Dong spoke with China's Consular General in Toronto, Han Tao, and suggested to him that if Beijing released the two Michaels, then federal conservatives would benefit. How exactly is not clear. Dong allegedly initiated the discussion with the Consul General, where he also allegedly recommended that Beijing offer some show of progress with the two Michaels cases to help benefit the Liberals, according to the two sources. Dong confirmed to Global News that the conversation took place, but he denied he initiated the discussion and says that he advocated for the two Michaels to be set free. At every opportunity before they returned home, I adamantly demanded their release to Canada without delay, said Dong. Any suggestions otherwise are false and are attempts to mislead you, your readers, and slander me. The two Michaels had been jailed in apparent retribution for Canada's detention of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. But at the time of Dong's conversation with the Chinese diplomat, the Prime Minister had publicly been calling for their release. This is an issue that is a top priority. Trudeau's office says the Prime Minister only learned of the conversation with the Chinese envoy after Dong told PMO. But Dong only informed the Prime Minister's team after Global News reached out for comment. As a Chinese-Canadian, I am so proud 
A national security official told Global News that by the time the alleged conversation in February 2021 took place, CSIS had already classified Dong as a close friend of the consulate based on his history of calls. But they had also considered if Dong was acting as a back-channel interlocutor between the Canadian and Chinese governments. The PMO denied that theory, saying at no time was Mr. Dong ever used as a back-channel. Global News has not been able to independently verify what was said in the communication between Dong and the Consul General. That's just a blockbuster. They would have lawyered that article, that video, very carefully. Here's Han Dong's response. I rise on a point of order. I have informed the Prime Minister and the leadership of the Liberal Party caucus that I will be sitting as an independent at the conclusion of these remarks. Mr. Speaker, I'm in your hands as to what happens next. To all my colleagues in the Parliament, media reports today quoted unverified and anonymous sources have attacked my reputation and called into questions my loyalty to Canada. Let me be clear, what has been reported is false, and I will defend myself against these absolutely untrue claims. But let me assure you, as a parliamentarian and as a person, I have never, and I will never, would never advocate or support the violation of the basic human rights of any Canadian, of anyone, anywhere, period. The accusations are false. My family came to Canada for freedom. I have had the privilege of being elected to this House, and I believe I have served honorably and pledged to continue to serve honorably and fulfill my oath of office. I will continue to serve the residents of Down Valley North as an independent member of this House. I am taking this extraordinary step because to sitting, to sitting the government caucus is a privilege, and my presence there may be seen by some as a conflict of duty and the wrong place to be as an independent investigation pursues the facts in this matter. I will be sitting as an independent so that business of government and indeed the business of parliament is not interrupted as I work to clear my name and the truth is presented to parliament and to Canadian people. I am a proud Liberal, and I am proud of the work our government does day in and day out to serve the people of Canada. I also don't want to distract from that important work. Before concluding, I want to assure Mr. Michael Spavert and Mr. Michael Covert and their families that I did nothing to cause them any harm. Like everyone in this House, I worked hard and advocated for their interest as a parliamentarian. The allegations made against me are as false as the ones made against you. To my constituents, I will continue to work on your behalf as your Member of Parliament. To my staff, I thank you. I know the days ahead will be difficult. But I will be there to support you as we continue to serve the people of Dalmali North. 
to my family, and in particular, my parents, who brought us here to Canada. To my wife, Sophie, and my kids, I love you. I thank you for all the support and love you give me. The truth will protect us. Our honor and our family will get through this together. Sorry about that. Thank you, Speaker. <laughs> the, the applause? The, 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 he was accused of working with the Chinese dictatorship, advising them to keep the two Michaels in prison longer, and they applauded him. They applauded him. That was last night. Here's today's news in the Globe and Mail. Trudeau government decided CISA's transcript of MP Handong provided no actionable evidence. Oh, really? The Trudeau government determined that there was no actionable evidence after it received a CISA's transcript of an early 2021 conversation between liberal MP Handong and China's top diplomat in Toronto, according to a senior government source, saying conclusions could not be drawn that Mr. Dong asked Beijing to keep two Canadians in prison for political reasons. What was he doing reporting to Beijing at all? What was he doing? He's not foreign minister. I mean, TikTok is awful, and don't think Facebook and YouTube are any better. We know from what Twitter has disclosed under Elon Musk that they were, they were the same. Twitter was basically in the service of the CIA and FBI. So, of course, TikTok is in the service of China's People Liberation Army. I mean, I, I don't mind the idea of banning TikTok, really. It's malware. It's spyware. It feels like a, a toy, a game, a hobby, whatever. It feels like an entertainment, but it's actually an espionage tool. Just like DJI drones, you know, all those drones that people fly around. Almost every single drone sold in Canada and America are Chinese-made. And all of their data goes through their servers back in China. I would say that every single square inch of America by now is mapped in high-definition video by Americans using drones for fun. And that's all in China's hands right now. And 100 million humans and all their social connections and everything in their houses and their rooms, they have all that info, all of it. But they've been doing this sort of thing for years. Here's a story from back in 2021 in the Globe and Mail. Ottawa partners with Huawei to fund university research despite security concerns. The federal government is partnering with Huawei to sponsor leading-edge computer and electrical engineering research at Canadian universities, a move critics say threatens this country's national security and economic interests. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Huawei gets the, gets the patents. You pay for it. Huawei, which is China's version of Google, gets the patents. So yeah, on your app, TikTok, on your Huawei phone, or in your telecom hardware, you can't avoid it. Or, or in your MPs, you can't avoid them. Or your prime minister, or your former governor general, or your former prime minister who went to work for China less than two months after retiring as prime minister. Now, Joe Biden might even be worse. He might even be on the payroll indirectly. His son, Hunter, takes millions from China. Some reporting suggests it's much, much more than millions. For no apparent work or skills, it's one of those no-work jobs. Look at this story. GOP probes China-linked payments to Biden family, provides no evidence tying directly to the president. Oh, so they can't prove it went to Joe Biden himself, just that millions went to his son, who just happened to fly to China with Biden on Air Force One 10 years ago when Biden was VP. So you have two of the most compromised leaders in the world when it comes to China, Biden and Trudeau, two of the most corrupt leaders in the world. And frankly, two of the stupidest leaders in the world gathering. At least Biden has an excuse. He's lived a long life. He's in his twilight years. He turns 81 this year. And 
I'm sorry, he's losing some of his sharpness. Don't ask me, ask TikTok. How would you say your mental focus is? Oh, it's focused. <laughs> I, say it's, I think it's, I, I haven't, look, I have trouble even mentioning, even saying to myself my own head the number of years. I no more think of myself as being as old as I am than fly. I mean, it's just not, uh, uh, I haven't observed anything in terms of, there's not things I don't do now that I did before, whether it's physical or mental or anything else. <laughs> it's a huge problem, but our government was corrupted the old-fashioned way, money and power. Before I stop talking about TikTok, let me tell you that I downloaded the app, then I deleted it because I was worried about security, but then I downloaded it again because how can you say no to content like this? How would you say your mental focus is? Oh, it's focused. <laughs> I say it's, I think it's, I, I haven't, look, I have trouble even mentioning, even saying to myself my own head the number of years. I no more think of myself as being as old as I am than fly. I mean, it's just not, uh, uh, I haven't observed anything in terms of, there's not things I don't do now that I did before, whether it's physical or mental or anything else. That was my excuse for showing you a bunch of cat videos and bird videos because those mental acuity parodies of Joe Biden are almost worth letting the communists spy on your phone. Whatever conservatives are in power, Donald Trump or Stephen Harper, the media party and the left tells us they're warmongers, they're cowboys, they don't know how to do international diplomacy. It's a lie, actually. Harper had stronger relations with almost every country in the world at the end of his term than at the beginning. He improved Canada's standing in the world maybe with the exception of Russia. Trump brought peace to the Middle East, peace to the Korean Peninsula. Russia, which invaded Ukraine both before and after Trump, didn't dare do it when he was in office. Harper didn't have such military power, but he had some respect from world leaders. Even Barack Obama, who disagreed with Harper on most things, agreed to exempt Canadians from his Buy American trade rules, agreed to a software lumber deal. Obama didn't approve Keystone Excel, but at least he didn't kill it until Trudeau took office. It's true that Trudeau opened our borders to take every fake refugee in America, but it's also true that the Democrats are bussing their illegal migrants up here that's easier than them deporting them. Speaking of which, did you see our new trailer for our undercover video from Roxham Road? Take a look at this teaser. Yes, Black Bay. So, Roxham? Yes. Roxham Road? Yes. Well, Mars, we love Creole. You came to, to Mexico and did you ask for asylum? Yeah, yeah. Un amigo de nosotros aquí en Nueva York. There is a process to determine whether someone is a refugee. There are steps to go through. 
those who are seeking to go somewhere else, not we're pushing or forcing, if they're seeking to go somewhere else, we are helping in the reticketing process. There's so many homeless here, and they're bringing people from other countries where there's people here struggling with mental illness. The issue starts at our southern border, where the U.S. has declined to enforce uh, proper immigration. And you allow them to live in a hotel, but yet the major crisis of homelessness is very, very big. So I'm in Roxham Road and I'm waiting actually for Lincoln J to arrive. He just uh, arrived in Plattsburgh and he took a cab. Just like that, I'm in the back of a taxi cab waiting to go to Roxham Road. Why wouldn't you ask that? You're running across the border. We have to go to police or look at That's going to be incredible. Anyways, back to Ottawa, the Dumb and, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber show. These guys, they have the same speechwriter, literally. Here's Joe Biden talking about Build Back Better. We've seen the Senate advance two key pieces of my economic agenda. The bipartisan infrastructure bill and the budget resolution that is the framework for my Build Back Better plan. And back in the campaign, you know, I said we're going to build back and we're going to build back better. Not just, we can't just build back, we got to build back better. And today I want to outline some of the key pieces of this Build Back Better agenda and what's it going to do for the people of Illinois and the people of the United States. To meet the challenges today, we can't just build back the way things were before. We have to build back better. Yeah, and here's Trudeau talking about Build Back Better. We will continue to offer supports that will help keep their doors open and grow their businesses during this difficult time and beyond. Because we can only build back better if we lean on one another. This week, the government outlined our plan to get Canada through the pandemic and build back a better country for everyone. As we work to finish the fight against COVID-19 and build back better. What does that mean? Look, it's insane that Joe Biden says he's going to run again. And it looks like he means it. It's even crazier that Trudeau will run again, too. Stay with us for more. You know, I was at the formerly known as Manning Center Conference. Now it's called the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference. And uh, I mentioned this in my show the other day. There was a panelist who said he asked... I don't know, a dozen or more conservative party candidates to define what is a woman. So these are conservative candidates, and none of them, not one of them would. We all know what a woman is. Uh, A child knows what a woman is. It takes a very educated and sophisticated grown-up to pretend not to know. And I understand why. To get the answer wrong could mean you're political doom. Do you remember this? I don't know if you saw this. I mean, Scotland is far away geographically from Canada, but it is not very far away politically. Uh, Take a look at this. When the first minister of Scotland, I think that would be equivalent to being the premier of Scotland. It's a little bit more than that, um, was asked a question uh, about a male to female transgender who was, was, I'll let it speak for itself. Look at this. This pushed the first domino that caused her to be ousted as first minister. Take a look. My question is, are all trans women women? You haven't answered that question. Well, 
that's not the point that we're dealing with that's here. The question I'm asking. Trans women are, are women, but in the prison context, there is no automatic right for a trans woman. So there are contexts where a trans woman is not a woman. No, there is. <laughs> there is circumstances in which a trans woman uh, will be housed in the male prison estate. Is there any the context in which a woman born as a woman will be housed in the male estate? Look, we're talking here about trans women. And I'm now asking about women born as women. Uh, I don't think there are circumstances there, uh, but... So it's different for trans women? Well, yes, and I, I'm not... So they're not equal? That is not... The, there is a risk assessment process done for trans women that takes account of the nature of the crime. It clearly, it, significant concern arises out of sexual crime and whether it's appropriate for them to be in a female prison okay. or a male prison. Well, uh, I think that goes to show that if you are a politician and cannot bring yourself to say that a woman is an adult human female, then you are in trouble. But these dozen or more conservative candidates in Canada felt the opposite. They felt they dare not say that a woman was an adult human female or they would be destroyed by some cancel culture mob. And they are correct. I think the, the case of... Uh, the Scottish First Minister being ousted was a rare example of uh, that compared to the ubiquitous examples of, of transphobia being the cause of so many political demise. But I think the point that the panelist at the Manning Center was trying to make to me, and to the crowd, rather, was it shows some courage, people. And understand that real life is not like Twitter, and real life is not like Parliament, where where, I mean, Trudeau famously said, we don't say humankind, we say people kind. Remember that video? Here's a flashback of that. Well, I always admire when people, especially people with something to lose, take a stand for common sense, because it's not very common these days. I think of J.K. Rowling, the great author behind the Harry Potter series, a billionaire, a self-made woman in so many ways. And if they try and go for her, well, then surely they can go for you. So when I see people standing up, for example, when we interviewed the power lifter, April Hutchinson, uh, last week, she has a lot to lose. Her uh, competitive career, her reputation, and yet she chose to take a stand. One Canadian who takes a stand so often, she's almost the evil Knievel of daredevils in terms of living freely in this unfree age. One of my favorite people, a great writer, and someone who, uh, at least for now, thank God, has a platform where she reaches millions of people, not just in the National Post, but also in Epoch Times and other outlets. I'm talking about my friend Barbara Kay, who joins us now via Skype from Montreal. Barbara, it's such a pleasure to have you back. You are, uh, evil Knievel is the wrong analogy, because that's a daredevil who did deliberately, uh, I would say, reckless <laughs> things. You are very thoughtful about your decision to speak plainly. And what you do mm -hmm. shouldn't be odd or crazy. It's just rare. And so I salute you for it. You talk about the things that other Thank people you. are just afraid to talk about. Yeah, I, 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 many people say you're courageous, but I, I, I myself do not feel that I am particularly courageous. And I obviously am able to uh, phrase what I want to say in ways that uh, my my newspapers, the National Post and the Epoch Times are comfortable with what I have to say. And I think it's because I, I speak uh, in not only with common sense, but I'm uh, everything that I say, everything that I allege is evidence based uh, and uh, it's rational. So, so far, I've been lucky, uh, but I, I will continue as long as I'm able to to uh, to speak common sense. Uh, otherwise, 
uh, as Solzhenitsyn says, live not by lies. Uh, life doesn't seem to be very much worth living if you can't say, uh, speak what is an obvious truth to others. I quote Solzhenitsyn um, more often than I ever used to because I remember during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, during the civil liberties bonfire, during the vaccine passports, during the brutality, and there was brutality, people being forced out of their jobs, the prime minister saying, should we even tolerate these people? It was easy for me to fight in a way, Barbara, because who's going to fire me? I, I work for myself uh, and I, I'm at my own workplace and I'm not going to impose rules on people. I'm not going to invade their privacy. But if you are a working mom and... um it was your job or your conscience. Yeah. Well, what about your kids? If you were, you, uh, not everyone had the luxury. So what Solzhenitsyn said that I always held by was, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you don't have to fight. You don't have to be a dissident. You don't have to be a, a refusenik, as they were called in the Soviet Union, but just don't let the evil work yeah. through you. Do not participate yeah. in it. You don't even have to speak out. Just don't speak for it. And that micro step is actually more than most people did. And I think of that again when I think of April Hutchinson, who just simply went to her competition and refused at the last moment to compete with the male to female transgender. Because what more could she do? If she tried to make a fuss, she would be kicked out. Her career would, and that, that was her one. And I thought, I thought about it and I thought, that's as much as she can do. Yeah. But I, I have some news, and this was brought to my attention by you. The International Association in Charge of Amateur Track and Field Events, it's mm -hmm. called World Athletics. They have taken a step towards sanity on transgenderism in sport. What do you know about that? And, and would you say it's a, a breakthrough? And do you think uh, they're going to hold to it, or do you think they'll be bullied out of it. What do, you, what do you think about world athletics, which is actually a pretty big deal. It's almost like a mini Olympics yeah. just for track and field. What do you think of that? Yeah, I know it is. It is very big news. Uh, people have been waiting for this for some time and, and up until very recently and up until the announcement came, uh, I think a lot of athletes were not expecting them to go that far. They were not expecting them to set to, to uh, make a distinction between biological males who identify as female and, uh, athletes with DSD, which is differences of sexual development, and that is uh, uh, athletes that, that present as, or who've been raised as female, uh, but that actually have a condition that they, they don't have external genitalia. Anyways, long explanation, but the point is that a lot of, uh, a lot of the time they're lumped together, but it's, it's two different situations. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that they separated them out. And what they have said is uh, biological males who have had the post-puberty advantage, who have gone through puberty, uh, will not be allowed to compete in the female div division. Uh, this is for all international events. So that means that, say, Athletics Canada can decide, um, well, <clears throat> we're not going to change our domestic policy. We're going to allow our athletes to self-identify into males, into female category. Uh, we're going to maintain that, that uh, position. Um, but then, of course, that puts them in a bad place because... If those, if those people then want to go on to international competition, they can't. Uh, so they're not going to, if, if, if Athletics Canada does not follow through <clears throat> with the same policy here, uh, they're going to get it, have the athletes mad at them and they're going to have activists mad at them, uh, because they're not going to satisfy anybody. So uh, this, this, 
this is a huge announcement. Um, uh, if if athletes are, are are looking for a pathway to the Olympics or to any other international world championship or whatever, um, they know now that, or female athletes know uh, that they can be sure that that at least when they get to those international events, uh, they will be competing only against other women. I, I think that's huge. It's a real shot in the arm for um, athletes who have been very discouraged by the, you know, the ongoing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, this this commitment to self-identification, which has spread like wildfire through the sporting world. Uh, it looks like it looks like some sanity has returned in a very big way. Same with rugby. Same with swimming. I think I think we've reached a pivotal moment, um, and I think this could be the beginning of the end of the whole irrational uh, movement that has allowed males to simply self-identify into female sport. You know, I hope you're right. You know this file much better than me. You're the co-author with Linda Blade of Unsporting, uh, which, I mean, you really know your stuff on this. You brought this to my attention, obviously, today. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't dare disagree with you, but I am more pessimistic than you. I, maybe I know, maybe I come from the political world way back when, and so I'm used to disappointments. And I don't know if this can hold because the power of censorship and compliance and conformity around transgenderism is greater than anything else I've ever seen. On social media, certainly, you misgender yes. someone, you dead name someone. These are, these are phrases that didn't exist 10 years ago. Misgender is call a natural born man a man, even after he says I'm a gal. And dead naming is the name your mama gave you as opposed to your new name as a new gender. Those two things are now, they will get you suspended or blocked on many social media platforms more than any other species of, I don't know, hate speech or whatever was being regulated in the past. It's just, there's an extremeness to it. And I, yeah. that's why I was stunned by the news because world athletics, I mean, there's nothing more political than the Olympics. There's nothing more politically correct than the Olympics. And this is really a feeder organization for the Olympics. And I... I'm really afraid, Barbara, that something big, someone bigger than World Athletics is going to come and smash them into, into compliance, whether that's woke TV networks announcing, we're not going to cover this, cutting off their money, or someone from the Olympics saying, you better conform to our policies or we'll you know, de disconnect from you. I'm, I'm just worried that they are not so big that they can't be smashed back into compliance. Maybe that's just the pessimist inside me. No, no. You know what? You know what? I, I, maybe I'm over optimistic here, and maybe you're. You, you could be very right because uh, I just on Twitter the other day we got into a conversation about who are the biggest bullies you've ever seen. You know, and I, I did tweet the other day. I'm 80 years old, and I've seen a lot of bullies come and go in in political life. But I agree with you that the trans cultists. They are cultists, um, are the most vicious and relentless and determined uh, and also very, you know, well-organized, well-funded. I've never seen a movement like this in, in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so I can't say you're wrong, Ezra. I, I, I'm looking to be optimistic because uh, <laughs> I want to I believe yeah. um, that that reason is coming back to sport. But, uh, you know, I listen to you and I say, well... You know, Ezra's very plugged into the Well, I don't know if I'm plugged in. I just, so. 
I'm used to losing. <laughs> not not because I'm necessarily a loser, but but it, because I uh, I know the odds, <laughs> the odds against us. <clears throat> hey, listen. Speaking of um, movements and bullies, uh, I, I want to refer to uh, an article you wrote about a week ago in the National Post. The headline is: "Thanks to Trudeau, Canada's death care system is top of the line." <laughs> And uh, it's just absolutely incredible. Just before we turn the cameras on, I, I floated to you a statistic uh, that I saw on, on an American network that in Canada, one in 30 deaths is an assisted suicide. And, I, and as I ran that by you, I, I noticed you referred to stats in your article. Let me just quote one paragraph from your article back to you, and then I'd love you to expand on it. California, as everybody knows, is the most one of the most progressive and woke jurisdictions in America. It's a laboratory for many bad ideas. It's uh, it is a it's not just blue. It is a deep blue place, politically speaking. Um, here's from your article. Consider that California, with the same population as Canada, and universally regarded as a singularly progressive domain legalized medically assisted death in 2016, just like Canada. And then here's the incredible part. In 2021, 486 Californians availed themselves of the program. In the same year, 10,064 Canadians ended their lives with MAID, medically assistance in dying, a term for euthanasia used only in Canada, and brazenly stolen from palliative care where it rightly belongs. 10,000 people mm-hmm. euthanized? Yes. That is the annual death toll of the coronavirus that we were told was the greatest threat to humanity in, in, in generations. I believe that American stat now. If I'd have to do the numbers, but one in 30 people who dies was killed by a doctor in this country on purpose. I find that mm-hmm. shocking and demoralizing. Well, I would have found it shocking a few years ago even, but it just shows you how quickly this uh, way of dying, this method of dying, uh, has become normalized in Canada. It is now 100% normal. Most people consider that it is. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it at all, uh, that in fact it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a blessing that so many people want to uh, you know, save the uh, taxpayers' money by not extending their life by artificial means and all the rest of it. And I, I, uh, we are very much as it has been in the Netherlands for some time, where um, people dying uh, by euthanasia has been no- normalized for the last twenty years. We're catching up really fast, uh, and the people that are driving. Um, that that were the prime movers behind the bills that got us this far are agitating. They're, they it's a step by step process for them. Even David Lametti said, "Well, we're not doing everything all at once. This is step by step." And the next step in the in the wings is advanced requests and um, uh, euthanization of minors who are in severe, you know, that have severe uh, disabilities or or uh, diseases. So. There's, I mean, in, in the Netherlands, uh, there's a tired of life bill, uh, that is, I think, passed or going to pass soon. 
you, you, there's no end to the slope because people that are fascinated with, um, you know, uh, death by choice and death when you want it, who think it's wonderful, uh, they, they won't stop until they get, uh, well, I'd like to be killed simply. Be, I, I don't need to give you a reason. Just do it. And, and that'll be someday down the line too. Uh, so yeah, it's a normal way to die here in Canada now, and it'll continue to be normal. And that'll be the answer for our aging population, uh, which is becoming a serious, we have a broken health care system and most of the people using it are older people. And this is instead of, instead of, uh, fixing the healthcare system, uh, this is the federal government solution. Encourage people, uh, to choose made and to choose it more often and to choose it for, uh, less pressing reasons than it was originally designed for. And hey, presto, uh, you're really going to, um, you know. I find it very troubling. And I think the people who are promoting and advocating it know that they're outside the norms of morality. I saw some guidance um, in Ontario from, I think it was the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Um, it was a proposal that doctors who commit medically medical assistance in dying, that they list on the death certificate not that they killed the person, but that the underlying condition that was causing the person distress mm -hmm. be blamed for the death. So they're clearly alert to the fact that 10,000 killings a year by a profession whose ancient motto is do no harm. Yeah, that, that, that actually is in my column as well. The yeah. fact that... Uh, they, they, the death certificate reads uh, whatever diabetes or heart heart disease or whatever instead of uh, they died from the drugs that were administered to them. Uh, it, so it, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's evidence of a guilty mind. Evidence of a guilty mind for yeah. sure. When you if you if it's something if something that this government seems very proud of themselves uh, for being so liberal, so progressive, uh, why why obfuscate? Why why deflect? Uh, you know, in the death certificate, why not just say? If, it's, yeah. if there's nothing wrong with it. You know, uh, Pope John Paul II, and I think all of Catholic faith, but that Pope in particular, they talked about the culture of life and fighting for the culture of life. There really is a culture of death. You know, I, I know that, and I'm not talking about the abortion battle in particular, but, um, you know, the pro-choice size always says we're, we're pro-choice, we're not pro-abortion. We're not actually advocating for the killing. We're just advocating for the right for the woman to make the decision. That's the language of, of pro-choice. But I think that creeping into these progressive movements, they actually are pro-death, at least on, on, mm -hmm. on this MAID side of things. I think they're constant looking, constantly looking to expand the list of reasons why someone should kick the bucket. Now it's not just terminable Ill, terminal illness for which there's no reprieve. Now it's I'm depressed. Uh, now it's just, I'm, I'm poor. Now it's, yeah. as our military says, oh, you have PTSD? Well, I don't know if you're going to get any better, but how about just exit? And, and by the way, you're going to save us all money. Uh, the grossest thing was a few months back when that women's fashion store, Simons, ran a, a cryptic ad for euthanasia, not, never coming out and saying what it was for. Here's just a flashback. Yeah to that really creepy ad. I think they've taken it down now. Um, but imagine how many people agreed with that, 
participated in that. That would have gone all the way up to the CEO who, in fact, boasted about it. Here's that creepy euthanasia ad. Buy a clothing fashion retailer. Take a look. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see bubbles. I see the ocean. I see music. Even now, as I seek help to end my life, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to see it. I think there really is a culture of death. I, you know, people can mock it, but throughout the millennia, they really did throw virgins into the volcano. They really did sacrifice people. I mean, if you know anything about uh, pre-Columbus uh, Central America, they sacrificed people by the thousand they, to the gods, to the to whatever. Like human sacrifice, child sacrifice, these have been diabolical elements of civilization since before time was, before before history was recorded. And I think there's something in in our society that is reconnecting with that I don't know if pagan is the word, but that death cult, like that, there is something, and it's not just about money, Barbara. In, in your article, you mentioned that there were studies that this would save taxpayer tens of millions of dollars. That's a trifle in the tens of billions we spend. Mm -hmm. It can't just be about money. There are people who love death. I mean, the Jews yeah. have a saying, lechayim, that means to life. A lot of Jews, if they wear a, a necklace, it says, the Hebrew word for life, which is chai, l'chayim. The Pope talks about, I mean, there's there's the forces of light and life. And then there's people who prefer, I think they actually prefer death or dying. I think so. It can't just be explained by dollars and cents, Barbara. What do you think? I, I honestly do think that a lot of it is, uh, 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 I think, yeah, I think some of the people, be, the activists, uh, you know, this death with dignity and all these these organizations that that's all they think about is how to make it easier to. Yes, I agree that some of the activists are definitely there for the government. Uh, I think it's a lot of it is about their unwillingness to put more money into palliative care, which is still uh, unavailable to, uh, uh, I would say, the greater greater proportion of people that cannot access palliative care. It's, I think it's only for cancer, uh, cancer patients in, in bigger centers. Uh, that's wrong. Everybody should have access to palliative care and everybody who is disabled should have access to adequate services in their own home if possible. Um, they should not be warehoused. They should not be warehoused in these horrible conditions that you often, that you discover when you start to do a little, digging behind the scenes so they don't want to spend more money on that the more they can encourage uh, people and then and they have co-opted this word dignity that in, in other words if you're not in full physical capacity if you don't have full control over your uh, body uh or if your you know mind isn't quite a, that that you no longer have human dignity and this idea that there's only human dignity when you are physically independent or physically and mentally independent this is basically telling disabled people or mentally, you know, uh, ill people, uh, it's too bad you don't have human dignity, but there is something you can do about that. It, 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 that's the subtle message. 
behind this and this constant uh, talking about dignity, dignity, as if dignity weren't inherent in, in, the, in the human estate, no matter how, whether you're abled or disabled or blind or not blind. This is, this is a very insidious kind of messaging that comes out of this movement. So um, I agree with you in principle. And by the way, I, I'd like to add that I'm not against people, adult people having the right to, um, to kill themselves or to have assisted suicide. I just don't want the government doing it. I don't want the Medicare system doing it. I don't want doctors doing it. There's, there's ways to, this should be a separate, a separate activity uh, that is privatized and paid for by insurance. It, it should have nothing to do with the uh, healthcare system at all because it's not healthcare. It's not palliative care. So, this feels related in some ways to the to the pandemic and the lockdowns and the m- mandatory medical procedures, where where doctors are doing things that we learned in the Nuremberg trials. Doctors should not be doing. Doctors must be on the side of life, not death, and. You know, I was thinking about in ancient times how they really did sacrifice children, sacrifice virgins. Like these, these ideas didn't come from nowhere. They, they actually were how things were. And when the Ten Commandments was brought down, it was, it was limiting things like thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder is probably a more accurate translation. That was a novelty. That was an innovation designed to check the, the wild animal-like state of man. What's the fifth commandment? Honor your mother and father. I think that's related. Don't off them when they're inconvenient and are costly. Don't kill them early. So these very basic ancient rules that govern people, there's just 10 rules. And number, you know, thou shalt not kill. That's not number one. It's a little further down. And number five, honor your mother and father. You you We forget those at our peril, and there was a, there was another group of laws that the, the Jews called the Noahide laws, which are laws mm-hmm. that don't just apply to the Jews, they apply to all mankind. Let me throw one of them at you. It's a weird one. You're not allowed to eat an animal that's alive. And that's, mm-hmm. that's well, of course not. Well, why? Why? Because it doesn't Actually, taste good? No, because there's a deep morality was- to it. There's a deep morality. I think I, I think I know. I think I know why. I think I know why, and that's because there was a, a custom. I don't know if it's still extant, but it, there was a custom for Bedouins who had no refrigeration uh, to cut a limb off living animals in order to eat that limb, and then the animal would still be alive, um, uh, and eventually it would be killed. But I think that it was. This was about. Um, uh, kind, you know, uh, not not having cruelty towards animals. I think well, that's that that's my point. Why that. would you care about cruelty? Why would you care about a, a, a limbless animal? Well, because because we're better than that. Because we have a spark of God in us, and we care about even a dumb animal, a dumb ox. We care about that. The fact that they are in pain that matters to us, to our character. And surely, if you treat an animal with some basic respect maybe you'll treat a human with as much respect the reason i'm talking about the ten commandments and the noahide laws and i'm sorry to do it to you but i'm going to quote part of a poem by rudyard kipling called the gods of the copybook headings because 
I'm not particularly religious. And I, I mean, there's there's different religious customs. There's Judaism, there's Christianity, there's there's Islam. But if we throw out everything, we go, why do these religions and these customs and these these codes of morality and then that move from religious texts into general secular philosophy, why? Why did we do that? Because if we don't do that, terrible things happen. Terrible things happen when we say, kill him, kill him, you, you can live, you can die. Can I read a little bit? This is a poem from Rudyard Kipling called Gods of the Copybook Headings. And if you don't know what a copybook heading was, when kids used to learn how to write, they would practice copying something that was written at the top of the page. It was a copybook, and they would write it almost like writing lines. They would write, and what would they write? They would be little little aphorisms, little sayings, little proverbs. So while they were doing the rote learning how to write, they would also have this um, proverb drummed into their head. Let me just read. Give me a minute. I know I'm so far afield here, but when we're talking about things like, oh, yeah, death is no longer, ta- not just death, but killing people is no longer taboo. Let me just read a little bit. It's from Kipling, Gods of the Copybook Headings. As I pass through my incarnations in every age and race, I make my proper prostrations to the gods of the marketplace. Peering through reverent fingers, I watch them flourish and fall, and the gods of the copybook headings, I notice, outlast them all. We were living in trees when they met us. They showed us each in turn that water would certainly wet us as fire would certainly burn. But we found them lacking in uplift, vision, and breadth of mind, so we left them to teach the gorillas while we followed the march of mankind. We moved as the spirit listed. They never altered their pace, being neither cloud nor wind-borne like the gods of the marketplace. But they always caught up with our progress, and presently word would come that a tribe had been wiped off its ice field, or the lights had gone out in Rome. I'm halfway done, Barbara. (laughs) With the hopes that our world is built on, they were utterly out of touch. They denied that the moon was Stilton. They denied she was even Dutch. They denied that wishes were horses. They denied that a pig had wings. So we worshipped the gods of the market who promised these beautiful things. When the Cambrian measures were forming, they promised perpetual peace. They swore if we gave them our weapons that wars of the tribes would cease. But when we disarmed, they sold us and delivered us bound to our foe. And the gods of the copybook heading said, stick to the devil you know. On the first Feminian sandstones, we were promised the fuller life, which started by loving our neighbor and ended by loving his wife. Till our women had no more children and the men lost reason and faith, and the gods of the copybook heading said, the wages of sin are death. I won't read the whole thing. I recommend it. It's it's basically Kipling a hundred years ago saying, you can give up the old morality. And that, that's not even Christianity. He's not, he's not referring to the Decalogue. He's not referring to the Noahide laws. He's not referring to the Bible or the Jewish Torah or the Muslim Quran. He's calling them the gods of the copybook headings, basic things that we know are true. And when you are sacrificing children, when you're killing the weak, when you're killing people who are merely unhappy, when you're killing people who are inconvenient, you are toying with, I think, things that we put away 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, and we are inviting an era of 
evil and despair and darkness that took us thousands of years to put away. That's what I think when I read your article about killing 10,000 people a year and making like it's normal. Back to you, Barbara. Thanks for letting me read part of that poem. No, no, I, I, I get it. And I'm, I'm impressed by your uh, passion on the subject. And I, I, I really do agree that there, there is something that is pretty creepy uh, when you allow this uh, death as uh, normal. When you allow euthanasia to become normal in a society, you're making a statement uh, about the sanctity of life, that it really isn't. It's only sacred if it appeals to a certain band of people who identify uh, life worth living as life that gives pleasure and satisfaction and that you are totally in control of. There's something very creepy about that kind of a society because it, it, it puts a target on the back of the weak, the vulnerable, uh, the very, the, the very poor, uh, the very old, I, I, you know, when you know that your society is basically has become a society that would prefer that you were dead. Um, I think that's a terrible message to send to people mm-hmm. like the, uh, person at the, the heart of my article, Roger mm-hmm. Foley, who is disabled, but whose mind is sharp as a tack mm-hmm. and who has to me as much dignity as anybody else just because he needs assistance uh, for his physical needs does not make him less dignified and should not make anybody uh, mm-hmm. less dignified in the eyes of their fellow citizens. Yeah. Well, Barbara, this is heavy stuff. And as I started, I'll end, which is that you're not allowed to talk about these things in most places. And you talk about it all the time in the Epoch Times and the National Post. We're very grateful to you. We're glad that you come and join us and that you have to suffer through me reading old poems. But No, I no, really th- not at all. I really think I like that... Kipling. Uh, I like Kipling. I love Kipling. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if he were alive today, he would uh, be raging at the world. He was raging at the world 100 years ago uh, before most of the terrible things even happened in our last century. Great to see you again, my friend. You take care. Thanks, Ezra. Thanks for having me on. Oh, what a pleasure. There you have it, Barbara Kay. Stay with us. Your letters to me next. Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me. Johnny Rush says, it's interesting that people make a mistake and regret it and do some research and you will see that what he thinks of Fauci, Big Farmer, and the other crooks in the world. Thanks, Ezra and Dr. Malone. Talking about my interview with Dr. Malone, I thought that was a very interesting interview, and hopefully you could pick it up despite the fact that there were some problems with his Skylink. Spielman says, imagine the son of a known eugenicist having such global control over everything and believing he's not malevolent. Malevolent. How stupid can you be, people? I'm, I'm worried about Bill Gates. He has more power now than, than ever. He's more wealth now than ever. He has spent hundreds of millions of dollars buying peace in the media. Occasionally, once in a while, a journalist asks him him a prickly question, but it's very rare. He is treated as polite company. What he did with Jeffrey Epstein was enough for his own wife to divorce him, and that's just what we know about. And yet that man is the moral leader in the world and everything from vaccines and pandemics and lockdowns and climate. What did we do to deserve that Dr. Evil character? 
Well, that's our show for today. I, I hope you don't mind me getting a little emotional reading that poem to Barbara Kay. I find Kipling has a poem for so many crises. He he lived over a hundred years ago. In fact, I I uh, had the good fortune to pick up a couple of first edition books. So he he wrote so many great short stories and poems. Um, I was just telling a colleague here, The Jungle Book, one of the most beloved books for kids, was written by Rudyard Kipling. Uh, obviously, wonderful poems like If, Gunga Din, incredible po poem, short stories, um, and very politically incorrect poems about uh, empire as well. But I think that poem, I mean, If is, is one of, I'd say one of his most famous poems. You know, every Remembrance Day, I read his poem, uh, Tommy Atkins about the treatment of British veterans. But today's poem, Gods of the Copybook Headings, is just terrifying. Just terrifying. And I and I point out that it wasn't explicitly Christian. He was just talking about, you know, the wages of sin is death. And um, if you, he, I think, was a man of the empire and a man of history and culture and order. And he saw the way the world was going and he was appalled by it. On that ambiguous note, let me say thank you to you for your support. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.